And that, that's, I think, back in the days was the biggest mistake for the legacy incumbent uh, uh, brands that they actually neglected their uh, attention versus their online presence. In my opinion, um, most of them lost this battle for um, forever, I would say, because uh, I think that the brokers, um, as of today, have uh, much more knowledge in digital marketing and uh, they are much stronger with their online presence. And if you are not, uh, let's say, leveraging your pricing in a proper way, if you are not uh, knowledgeable in your yield management, even on the broker side, you will be just not able to stay profitable. We still need to manage the systems. We still need to create strategies. We still need to uh, guide this technology. And we shouldn't, uh, let's say, consider that some someday, or I mean, at least in the nearest future, that it, the technology can absolutely replace us, especially the owners and the managers. You are listening to Revenue Machine, the podcast dedicated to revenue management in car rental. We have created it to enhance your January zone. I'm Emmanuel Scuto, the founder and CEO of WeYield and a Revenue Machinist. My ambition is to give knowledge and share experience to get inspiration. To do what? To reach a new level of performance, but also to have a better clarity and more freedom in the way you do your job every day. Okay, cool. The sound is good. Uh, do you feel comfortable? Do you have enough water and, uh, and whatever required at the end of the day? That's okay. I wish I would have some French wine, but I'm, I'm, having, I'm having water. All good. <laughs> That's cool. So we are going to, uh, to start this new uh, podcast. Uh, I would say that we are back to the car rental now. After the last three episodes we, that were dedicated mostly to, the, to systems and pricing techniques, Now, it's my pleasure to, uh, to have a, a carental expert, uh, Arthur Zantmans, uh, on the Revenue Machine podcast. Do I say correctly your family name, Zantmans? We say Zantmans? Absolutely. All versions are fine. Okay, cool. So, Arthur, there are more than 20 years of experience in the carental industry. You have been working with some big brands like ABG, Avis, uh, Avis in Baltic under the franchise mode, but also in US. Uh, on the corporate yeah. side. And uh, what is interesting also is that you have been working for, for brokers. Uh, not my favorite uh, guys, but that will be an excellent discussion. You have been working for Flexible uh, and, and Discover um, and also on the affiliation side. So I think you have a pretty wide range of experience and that's, uh, that's very, very good. Um, and um, you have also this, um, this um, interesting point of view on the on the sides of uh, let's say the, the two sides of a revenue management equation which is the demand and the operation so that will be excellent you have also seen the evolution of the distribution from the direct booking channels to the predominancy of the of the brokers over the last decade i would say and now you are working on the for a current old system uh, rently software uh, while simultaneously you have also your uh, consulting activities via car and more experts. So I have hundreds of, of questions to ask you. 
during this uh, this new episode of the Revenue Machine podcast. Uh, That's what we are here for tonight. And we are going to discuss about specifically uh, the, the, the broker's predominancy. How do you see this? Uh, also, I would like to ask questions about the, the, the perceptions you have on the, on the expansion of the affiliation network that I've seen over the recent years, let's say before the COVID, but I think it's an acceleration right now. Um, your point of view also to, about the, this very difficult part, which is the commodi commoditization of the car rental, which will give a, a lot of difficulties uh, for, the, for the future, the next years of the, for the car rental business, I would say. And uh, I know you are a fan of techno as well. So we are going to discuss about AI. And uh, we exchanged uh, uh, recently on LinkedIn about the, um, the AI. So I'm sure we can discuss about it. Um, Absolutely. Are you OK with this? I didn't make any mistake uh, after yours on the, on, the, on the curriculum and your... Uh, no, it was a good reminder for myself because sometimes you, I keep forgetting things from my past history, so it's, it's, it was a good reminder. <laughs> so, so we are going to, so we are start. Can, can we do um, a little um, check-in? How do you, how do you feel? Uh, I don't know if it's your, is it your first podcast, uh, Arthur? Well, at least I haven't done it for ages. So uh, thank you for inviting. It's my, my pleasure to, uh, to have this discussion with you. Uh, and, uh, I know we scheduled some time ago, so I was uh, looking forward to uh, to go through these uh, topics with you, uh, especially since since you know our addiction versus the uh, let's say these intellectual tools that are used in uh, yield management and in pricing strategies and in things like this. So, looking forward. Cool. Um, so I propose that you um, that you um, you present. Can you introduce yourself? I mean. How old are you? Where are you based? And uh, give some little light about uh, about yourself. Well, I think you you gave you gave a brilliant presentation, but um, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, I started um, in a in an automotive mobility or whatever you call it, rent a car uh, industry more than 25 years ago by now. Uh, so um, I'm 46. So I started in my early 20s or um, or even 20s. And uh, it was a really challenging opportunity at the time because uh, we um, started with the, let's say, with a famous well-known brand, Avis. And at the same time, it was a small fleet back then. And that's why I never underestimate uh, any of the small players because potentially anybody with a small fleet of uh, 20, 30, 40 cars has actually the great opportunity to grow into a um, fleet of thousands of cars. That's what happened to um, Avis Brandon Baltics. And uh, being at the roots of that was really exciting because we were the universal soldiers back then when uh, being a country manager and the, let's say, the, uh, the senior manager, at the same time you were involved in customer service procedures, in fleet purchases, in, uh, in financing, and all the other daily operational issues. And that's, that was a, an excellent, uh, let's say, rent-a-car university that I went through. Was it, uh, was it your uh, your uh, your intention to, to work for car rental? What what kind of studies did you do, or was it an opportunity and uh, and then you stayed in this uh, in in this business? Well, I was always um, an automotive person myself. I mean, let's say my heart 
um, probably always belonged to cars. And that's why I never hesitated. Uh, because my, my, all my family is more related to the sea. Uh, so, uh, and, and shipping business. But I never considered myself, except for sailing and yachting, being a man at the sea. So I always knew that I'll be working with cars. And after graduating from Riga Technical University in Latvia, I, um, I um, basically finished my degree in a transport economics. And I did my bachelor uh, diploma back then with a topic uh, related to car rental and car leasing without even knowing that I will go that direction at the, at the time. And the funny thing that even when uh, doing this diploma work, I, my, my thesis back in the days, which was, what, 27, 20, uh, 28 years ago, it was related to the subject of switching over from the ownership structure to usage structure. So basically, I was trying to present rental product, rental service as, an, as a new opportunity and as a new product. And back then, my professors were basically considering me absolutely crazy because they didn't believe in that concept. They didn't believe that this is doable, uh, that sometime people will be paying for the service of using cars instead of buying them because the strong perception of ownership was much more important than uh, the quality of service. And we see that so many years later, we are actually shifting uh, upside down when people realize that uh, it's all about the service, that there's no necessity to own things. Uh, so it's it's really interesting to remember things like this. Right. So you are really, uh, you had this forward looking uh, because at that time it was, uh, we were still, I remember what uh, I was uh, also a young guy, uh, uh, yeah, what about 30, 25 years ago? And uh, and uh, still the ownership of the car was like, if we were talking about this to me or even my my, my parents, they say, no, we have to own. That's uh, the second asset of the family after the house or the apartment. And then it's the car. So Absolutely, absolutely. So, it has totally <laughs> so that's what I said. It was, it was pretty hard to break that perception. And even when doing the diploma, it was hard to defend my thesis because uh, all the professors uh, were on the other side and they were absolutely not, let's say, uh, uh, confirming my identity of the service at that time and <laughs> resisting to acknowledge that this is some kind of uh, realistic scenario in, uh, in, in the market. Okay. So, and... So you started at, at, at Avis in Baltic on, on the various, uh, as you said, operation and uh, fleet, etc. purchase. Um, and how long did you did you stay for them? And, and what was then the, 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 the second step? Did you remain in the car rental or you switched to something else? After this I always remained in car rental. It was about six or seven years that I spent with the um, with the Avis and, um, and then budget. Um, reunited basically the group so we had Davis budget uh, in the Baltic countries and um, later on again there was a let's say second passion that I always had was about the luxury and supercars so I tried to create um, like a, my own premium premium car rental and premium uh, leasing services in Baltics and then naturally it shifted to the neighboring country of Russia where the luxury cars were booming at that moment and we created a brand called Garage Number One, uh, and I got a huge support uh, back then. 
to um, basically to create a first uh, first supercar and luxury car private club with a with a um, chauffeur service with a supercar rental based on the membership type of approach. So that was really uh, an interesting pilot project uh, that we run in, in Moscow back in the days. Um, and then um, uh, and, and leasing, how, how, operations were taking me over as well. Yeah. And was it easy to do some business from a Latvian guy uh, to do business in Russia or? Uh, back in the days, there was really no, no feeling of, uh, of, of, the, of the borders in any sense. So I think the... Uh, the Eastern markets altogether were growing in such a massive speed that everybody was um, kind of uh, supporting each other and open to each other. So uh, uh, really, I didn't feel any resistance back in the days. Oh, hey, okay. And 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 uh, so it lengths for uh, for what? How many years did you did you continue this uh, this business? The luxury project didn't run too long, regretfully, because we. Uh, we ended up with the uh, with the crisis back in 2008, 2009, what were the years? Uh -huh. And uh, we had a strong belief with the shareholders of the company, with my, uh, let's say, financiers, that um, basically that we are not going to have any uh, issues and any struggles because everybody believed back then that the crisis will hit the middle and uh, budget market, but that luxury service will remain where it is. But actually, things happen vice versa. Luxury services were the ones that actually suffered more than anything else because uh, people realized that um, there are things that they can, uh, let's say, um, save money on. And uh, probably luxury services were one of the portion where they, they, they tried to find this uh, cheaper or more economic alternative. Uh, but of course, these were also the years when everybody else suffered. So uh, it was not only the luxury service. And um, and so, due to this crisis, you had to uh, reorient yourself. Uh, what what happened then? What what did you went back to the uh, regular car rental? I would say, or what was the the the, the switch afterwards? It was a long journey uh, because first, um, I uh, again I don't know even the reason, but uh, for for. For some intuitive reason, we moved to Italy with my family, with my wife and kids, and uh, and we um, basically were trying to establish a classic rent-a-car back there. But that was the first time when, uh, looking on the uh, let's say trends on the market, I somehow felt that I want to go online, and uh, these were my first attempts to create uh, some online currental presence uh, in Europe. Uh, and uh, over then I was doing it uh, based on some tools that looked pretty futuristic back in the days. So I was using, uh, I think, car troller, white label. And uh, then later on, we were switching to the API. And at that time, it looked, sounded to me and looked to me all like um, ABC from back to school because <laughs> it was the first time I was doing something like this. Uh, so this was my first online let's say experience and um, and, uh, and and it started pretty well of course with its own challenges because i was learning everything from scratch i had no knowledge and no experience in uh, in online business back then except for some landing pages that you naturally do for your classic classic business 
And again, making one step back, back at, at these years, we never paid too much attention on our, uh, let's say, uh, online presence, uh, being working with the global brands, because uh, everybody knew that with global brands, you have people booking uh, via corporate connections, uh, via different uh, emails, calls, and coming to your counter because uh, they knew Avis and budget. enough to continue winning their market positions and that's where they started losing the trend i totally agree with you and for me that's that's such a big spiral that started at this time that created more and more the commodity and and personally the way i see it also is like it came also simultaneously with more pressure on the big brands coming from the stock exchange to deliver more results and they realized that effectively they could save on their own marketing uh, cost. So they would, they would believe that it's better to outsource in a way to the brokers and these OTAs, but it destroyed the long-term their, their, their presence. And so the, 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 the visibility of their, of their brand. And now, unfortunately, uh, the brokers are controlling them. I remember that time it was already the case. I mean, Auto Europe in the in the early 2000s and the 2010s was already really strong, uh, but um, it has been bigger and bigger. So yeah. I, I, I'm happy to hear this comment because um, I really feel that, yes, they outsource their marketing to these third parties, definitely. I, I have a feeling and my personal opinion is that it's it's not even that they outsourced it because many of them were uh, pretty arrogant in a way that they believed that they're so strong on the market that they didn't even uh, care about players like out of Europe or Cartroller back in the days. And they believed that uh, the brand identity is much stronger than the attempts of these uh, players to revolutionize the online market and to shift that attention versus the uh, kind of the, the broker or OTA type of business. So I remember the days when uh, corporate large players were becoming good friends with uh, structures like GDS, Amadeus, and things like this, just to have the B2B channels, but they still looked skeptical on, uh, on the online brokers. And uh, some of them would not even post their listings there because they believe that this is like a third-party game and they don't need it and only when they started realizing that those who made the first steps in are already biting their piece of the market off and uh, getting their portion of the revenue away from them that's when they started paying attention to brokers and even then they still didn't realize this uh, let's say this 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 game-changing environment and they didn't pay enough attention and I think it's up to now that some of the players, I don't want to call the brands, but only in the last couple of years, some of them realized that they have to be friends with brokers. Yes, they need to be uh, establishing certain relationship rules uh, in regards to, let's say, pricing and etc. So some of them went to this retail model of pricing in order to avoid these, uh, uh, let's say, uh, pricing wars between their own uh, prices on brokers and direct listings. So this is something different that 
in reality, many of them still felt that they are um, not in the need of any, let's say, collaboration with the brokers. And that was one of their major mistakes because uh, now they are much more dependent on them and uh, they have to uh, basically to, uh, to keep up their speed in order to reach the level of the uh, broker uh, business. Do you think that uh, first their intention is to get it back? So they are investing in their brand awareness, etc., and their direct marketing enough? Second, do you think they will be able to, to change this, this orientation, this, this spiral, or is it too late? In my opinion, um, most of them lost this battle for um, forever, I would say, because uh, I think that the brokers, um, as of today, have uh, much more knowledge in digital marketing and uh, they are much stronger with their online presence. And uh, look, I, don't, I cannot even imagine any source market where you would enter car rental and the top five, 10 positions would be not covered by the brokers or the OTAs. I mean, it's a rare occasion when you get uh, one of the major legacy brands popping up in top five, top 10 lists. Otherwise, it's all covered by the by the brokers because their online presence, their investment into digital marketing is much bigger and much more professional than what legacy players are doing. And as you mentioned previously, again, I think that the biggest challenge for these legacy players is based on the fact that all of them are kind of looking on the stock exchange as their main KPI um, for the business. So I see them more doing, let's say, the stock exchange part of the business rather than the operational part. So sometimes they make, let's say, strategic mistakes, I would say, and uh, they start considering, let's say, technology as a cost or marketing or online marketing as a cost rather than an investment. Uh, because their C-level managers just can't afford to make any, let's say, strategically uh, right decisions to invest huge amounts of money in transforming this, into changing their technology, which is absolutely outdated, uh, into changing their marketing approach, which is absolutely outdated, because this might uh, bring some negative effect on their stock exchange as of now, as of today, and they're actually looking on the short-term uh, results because this influences uh, whether they'll stay in that C-level marketing role uh, and whether they'll get their annual bonus um, of, I don't know, tens or hundreds of millions of euros uh, by the end of the year, or they will be uh, erased of the, uh, of the company. And that's why they don't make these investments, while brokers are much braver and they go for it. They uh, look for the new tools, they look for the new opportunities. They make mistakes, uh, but they still make these, uh, let's say, alpha-beta tests. They play on the different widgets. They play and change their front-line presence. They change the landing pages. They change the buttons. I mean, they're three steps three steps away from the um, old-school players. And do you think that there is a, um, an opportunity for a brand to... To continue, you know, uh, with all the respect I have for them, for me, the best brand who continue and keep continuing investing in this is Sixth. 
Absolutely. These guys you just took it. You took it off my tongue. <laughs> yeah, those guys are like Mr. and Mrs. Sixes, and now and now the sons. I think the main difference, and maybe with Enterprise, but I know them not that much compared to uh, to two six. Is a uh, it's a family-owned business, so they have the time. They are business, I think that, and they have the different, let's say, approach. And I absolutely agree with you that this is the only uh, brand out of the, let's say, legacy uh, list that is that is trying to change their mentality, that is trying to change their approach, that is trying to be modern in both marketing and their digital environment, in uh, in their fleet portfolio, because they were also one of the first ones back in the days when I was working with these luxury cars. Uh, again, I had so many people that were, you know, looking at me uh, as somebody crazy because they were saying, no, people are not looking to rent luxury cars. People are only looking for budget cars and manual transmissions and no air conditionings. They don't need anything. Why do you buy these Bentleys, Rolls Royces and BMWs? And look, 25 years later, uh, 20 years later, or even less, I mean, six started it much earlier. We saw Sixth Fleet based on all the premium brands and premium cars while other brands were running still with the budget cars and the pricing was pretty similar. So of course, Sixth was winning the battle uh, out of these, let's say old school competitors again, because they have different mindset. And it was absolutely fantastic because uh, you could rent uh, better cars, nicer service, brighter brands. Why would you pay the same amount of money for somebody who would, uh, would not have it? So absolutely. We have uh, in the portfolio of customer we follow. We have uh, we, we, I recorded a session, an episode with uh, Sadi Yunis from from Lebanon, from Advanced Car Rental in Lebanon, and this guy is extremely focused on his marketing. Uh, yeah, it's not a big company. We're talking uh, uh, eight nine hundred cars, but the guy is really focusing on this in order to find at every moment on the journey of the customer a possibility to bring more value, to be to, to be the advocate of the service, to deliver something different, to behave uh, differently. And he's an independent capital company. I mean, he's not affiliated to any network. He does, he's not a franchisee of any big brand, but he's doing very well. Why? As you said, because this is a question of mindset. And it's Absolutely. possible in this magma to behave differently as long as you want to do it. And, and what I've seen, we, have, we had an interview with uh, Nicolas Lenoué from Expedia uh, on, on the Revenue Machine podcast, and we were talking about the contactless business. For sure, it's a way to deliver more quality to the customer because this time spent on the counter is a friction and can generate some frustration. But if it's managed by the brokers and the, the OTAs, we are going to lose the entire contact with the customer. And it will be a disaster. And again, uh, they the, some of the uh, let's say of the of the managers of these companies they see this digitalization overall as a disaster. I know we might talk later about it, but. Uh, they, they don't see it as an opportunity. They, they just see it as a threat and they don't try to find the ways to improve their business setup. But instead, they just try to avoid brokers again. That's, that's exactly what I was trying to point out because they think that it's a threat instead of seeing it as an opportunity. Um, yeah. So. And then to go back on the, on the curriculum, I, I wanted to, 
because then you 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 went to the US to work for uh, AV, so you kept the the red. You stayed in the red family. Uh, I used to define them by color, so <laughs> we have the red. <laughs> You're a red guy. I'm more a green guy because I used to work for Europe Car. So I, I, as a matter of fact, I'm more a green guy, uh, very, very kind of green blood. And you have a real red blood. How did you feel the different um, from working for a, for a corporate account for a corporate in US? Because I, I do believe that Los Angeles is a is a corporate. Uh, uh, station right or is it franchisee for IDB? It's it's a different structure. Uh, in US, they basically have the corporate locations, but most of the locations are um, some type of uh, uh, it's an operator based location. So basically, you have access to the corporate fleet, but you are running your own independent business. So it's not a typical franchise system. And it's not exactly a corporate. So you are making your own business uh, based on the bookings that you're getting, getting from the central system and uh, collaborating with a, let's say, centralized fleet. But otherwise, you run your own locations, you run your own HR. And of course, there's a major difference with US business and European business in the pricing setup, which also uh, leads further to the whole um, kind of business concept and what I mean by that is that when back in the days when we were, let's say, especially on the Eastern Europe side, we were feeling kind of shy uh, to, you know, to offer extras, to sell something at the counter. And uh, our, our sales agents, they felt that only if somebody asks for, for a favor, for a baby seat or for extra insurance, that's when you need to offer it, that we don't need to be pushy. We don't need to um, to be uh, persuasive and selling something extra because that's that's not comfortable for the customer. In states, it was absolutely different because you are working with net rates that don't include anything, and in most cases, these net uh, rates exclusive, were exclusive, exclusive rates, right? Yeah, absolutely. So they have no insurance; they have nothing. Nothing is included because most of the uh, local uh, customers would have let's say their insurance covered by their uh, local banks and uh, credit cards that they used back in the days and still are using and that's why all the money that you are making is actually coming from these uh, auxiliary sales so you have to learn the different mindset again in selling the products at the counter because you have to feel the customer you have to see the opportunity you have to play with your fleet in trying to upsell the services you have to try to be uh, let's say, um, uh, I wouldn't say pragmatic, but you uh, have to be a talented salesperson at the counter in U.S. in order to be, um, let's say, in, in order to be selling the, um, the, the, the services and at the same time not making the customer feel uh, unnecessary pressure. And that was really a, a university for myself. So I was spending a lot of time at the counter myself. Um, I was uh, really working hard to learn that counter sales process because for us, it was representing sometimes more than 40, 45, up to 50% of the revenue that we were generating was coming from these counter sales. We never had these levels in Europe. Uh, when we have 20%, it's a, it's a nice, nice figure. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and uh, what did you learn in terms of sales process that was that you were not aware of before when you were coming from from Europe and that now you are pushing your uh, your clients or your uh, counterparts to do 
what was really the, the game changer in terms of sales? What is for you the good uh, process at the counter to improve this uh, conversion ratio and more ancillaries? Well, personally, I still think uh, it's all about listening to the customers because, again, in many places you, uh, and in Europe even, in many places you hear this assertive, uh, pushy sales kind of uh, type of approach at the counter. And that's where you get a lot of complaints in Spain, in Italy, where uh, the, let's say, rental agents are probably not trained good enough before the season and they just try to add any possible extra without even communicating this to the customer properly. So sometimes they try to use the language barrier as an excuse for adding these services because very often also their commission structure and their personal income is based on these uh, counter sales. And that's why they, uh, they ignore all the social communication uh, standards and they just push for these sales. Well, back in uh, US, we somehow um, managed to create a need so we had really an interesting, uh, uh, let's say, dialogue setup that we were trying to teach our uh, rental agents and we were practicing it with each other uh, in order to, let's say, to have these nice, smooth uh, dialogues or question-based, uh, let's say, uh, communication sets when we were trying to show the, uh, uh, the necessity to the customer. So basically, we were trying to make sure that the customer themselves will ask you, oh, listen, I, uh, I, would, I would actually, yeah, you are absolutely right. We're a family of four and um, you have these lovely larger uh, SUVs available there in the parking yard, as we can see. And yeah, probably um, it does make sense to keep myself first and things like this. So we, we were making sure that the customer comes back with that feeling of necessity rather than being pushy. And uh, that was a whole new concept. And uh, I still and sometimes do do these practical stories with the European partners actually introducing this uh, American uh, style of selling these extras at the counter and it works. And was it properly trained? I Meaning it was structured to make sure that each of the sales uh, at the counter staff knew these processes, practiced these processes. Uh, that was something really um, organized at ABG? Well, I should uh, I should probably give kudos for that, yes. I mean, uh, we were spending a lot of time. We had the regional, um, let's say, uh, regional team, uh, at least in California, that was spending a lot of time with us, the, um, let's say, the uh, location owners, uh, in assisting to, uh, to make sure that our teams are ready, that our teams are capable. I think that a lot of... Um, uh, a lot of it comes also from the mentality point of view. Uh, probably uh, um, U.S. people are slightly different uh, from the uh, European and especially from the Nordic countries because you cannot compare exactly the mentality of, uh, let's say, Scandinavians versus the, uh, versus the I don't know, Southern California. Uh, people are much more extroverts. They are open to speaking. They are open to dialogue. They, uh, they would be doing it with a smile. And that's why it's not perceived in an aggressive manner or perceived in a pushy manner. It's kind of, um, it's a natural thing to, uh, to ask questions, to talk. And this way you, uh, you procure this information from the customer 
that later you use it as opportunity. So it starts with some basic questions like, oh, lovely, I see you're traveling with a family, beautiful. And uh, probably you're staying longer in California because I see that you're having so many bags with you. And it's not persuaded, I mean, it's not perceived uh, as, uh, as the attack on the, um, let's say, private matters or something as it could be in some Nordic places. Uh, because some people would think that, oh, why are you looking at my luggage? Why are you counting my family members? So over there, it's a natural thing. You're just having an open discussion. And then you use this information to say, uh, hey, listen, I think that uh, with five of you and uh, four suitcases, you would be much more comfortable in riding this uh, beautiful Escalade, uh, the new model, the latest model that we are having in, our, in the parking yard. And it would actually uh, be a great, uh, let's say, trip uh, trip uh, base for for uh, for you stay in the U.S. in sunny California, or or vice versa. You would uh, uh, offer a, a beautiful young couple. You would offer some uh, convertible Mustang that would be much better than riding just a basic four door sedan. So these were the uh, the, uh, the kind of the things that you used. <laughs> okay. Uh, no, that's that's. Uh, I love this. Uh, that could be a very uh, carried back from uh, from the customer. Not everybody are uh, not our listeners. Not everybody have the possibility to hire like a frontline uh, this expert in uh, in doing uh, uh, counter sales. So this uh, well, this tip that you share to really listen to the customer, observe the customer, and try to ask the appropriate questions. Could be an excellent accelerator, I guess, for the for Absolutely. the ancillary sales, ancillary sales. Yeah, and of course, the, the the hard point here for many countries, especially that are having short season and high peaks during the season, uh, like I don't know, Greece, Turkey, um, Croatia, um, or some island places. The uh, toughest issue here probably is for them to prepare and to recruit the team for these short peaks. And to make sure that this team is knowledgeable enough of the uh, of the product, of the service, of the rental car itself, because in many aspects, in many uh, places, I mean, they're fighting with the uh, for for the same uh, let's say personnel that I don't know uh, restaurants and hotels are fighting for. So it's a matter of who will pay more. And then at the end of the day, they don't have time to prepare them properly, and you just have people at the counter finding for their uh, bonuses and tips the same way they would do in a restaurant. So it's, it's not an easy challenge for them. <laughs> anyway, anyway. Thanks for this uh, sharing, um, Arthur. Um, and then you, you become, uh, you start entering into um, the broker world, right? At, at, uh, at Flexible. How come you left this and you enter in the dark side of the, you joined the dark side of the force? <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it came back probably with the, uh, with the uh, let's say, the first alpha, alpha testing uh, of the online environment that I did back in Italy that I was mentioning to you. Uh, and that's why I never left this idea of uh, going back into some online type of, um, let's say environment into this uh, broker type of environment. I always had it on my mind. I was trying to uh, uh, build some tools in US, but um, I couldn't, let's say, spend too much uh, too much time. And, uh, and also I, I didn't plan to invest any money into technology and marketing back then. 
So I was more concentrating on the operational issues. And that's why when I got this proposal to join some existing brand and to, uh, let's say, to develop new markets for them, that was an interesting opportunity. And I definitely, um, definitely went for it. And... Um... Because then and it was also people. it was also related on the general decision to uh, uh, to come back to Europe. So it was a family decision that we moved back. Okay, okay. But then you worked also for Discover. So what the, uh, as you had this strong parental operational background, what what did you learn from them? What was uh, uh, where well, something something new something that was said oh these guys they are they are extremely good in this we were talking about the brand the investment on the brand on the loyalty uh, because that was mostly left aside by the legacy brand what did you learn also from this these two experiences working for brokers which are significant in terms of size huh? we are not talking small guys yeah, well the, well, the first thing I uh, learned that I think that there was a major shift uh, from that, um, let's say, loyalty and especially the corporate loyalty, probably that some of the legacy brands were still inheriting from the previous years. And they believe that this is a never ending story. So I remember that back in the days, I, again, I don't want to mention the colors, but <laughs> back in the days, I remember when sometimes we had corporate rates uh, that were two, three times higher than the, uh, let's say, the uh, our counter rates. And we believe that this was okay because, uh, I don't know, these big brands will never leave us. These are the agreements that we signed 20 years ago and they will always remain our loyal customers. And times were changing. I mean, uh, all these financial crises made the big corporates start counting the money as well. So they were looking into uh, their uh, travel initiatives they were restructuring their, let's say, travel budgets. So they naturally were looking into the uh, opportunities to procure uh, some better deals. And that's when the loyalty, uh, I think, became less important um, than, um, let's say, good economical base and good proposal from, from somebody new. So they... They were not that resistant anymore to accepting new players on uh, on their ground as, as they used to be before. Um, and uh, that's where also the brokers came in and uh, started um, becoming a great alternative to the, let's say, to the uh, digital, travel digital monsters like Amadeus, like GDS, the only ones being, let's say, uh, available at that moment. So they basically showed that they have tools where these companies and these individuals can uh, find the, the best deals uh, every time they need to travel. And I think the same shift was happening on the, in the airline business just slightly a couple of years before. Uh, so again, we, we learned that we don't need to click the same uh, Lufthansa website uh, or Air France website on and on trying to find a better deal that we better go to Skyscanner and find all the airline companies in the same place and all the... Uh, let's say brokers later on at the same place and we can use meta searches to find the best uh, ticket alternatives. So yeah. this was kind of a natural shift that was happening. And um, what did you, uh, what did you learn from the, um, from the, uh, the way the brokers were, were working? Uh, 
Well, number were one, you, it was it finished, finished. were you impressed? Were you well, okay, concretely? Uh, I wish well, I number one, as, as I said, this this was the uh, of course the marketing approach. Uh, right, okay, it was, it was the, really the, a good thing. Yeah, it was. It was. It was really a new thing for myself because we were basically we were having a um, team of experts dealing with uh, user experience front end on the permanent basis. I mean, Discover Cards has done really a great job in improving uh, their front end, improving their functionality. And uh, let's say a lot of a lot of brokers realized that they had to work on it on a daily basis. So it's not the, the, um, the setup that you can make one time and then enjoy your five remaining years. You really have to work on a daily basis, changing the colors, changing the buttons, changing the, the steps of the booking process, making it easier, lighter, more understandable, uh, let's say alphabet testing, different information uh, um, visualization, how you present it to the customer, uh, trying to see if this is easy to understand. No, you need to replace it somewhere else. Well, again, legacy players were doing none of that. And if you compare it to the old school websites that still some of them are running, when you need five, six steps in order to book the car and you need to upload your CV and uh, your mother name and your three old previous addresses to just to book the car, of course, nobody will do that anymore because with a broker, you have uh, three easy steps and uh, you have your booking confirmed. So that was night and day. Uh, and same goes to the marketing. I mean, we were doing different, uh, different um, investments different failures so we were learning from these failures and i think that that was part of the investment as well uh because again the, there's a big difference in this mindset one would consider these failures as the opportunity to learn the other one would consider no that was a failure so we don't invest into marketing anymore and that's again <laughs> that's how the old school players some of them still continue to think and that's why they're never popping up in your search and of course, the technology, I mean, the frontline technology that was much more powerful. I mean, the super strong and modern websites uh, that were run by powerful teams, in-house teams, uh, and you couldn't even compare them to the uh, to the big brands. I mean, this was night and day. Uh, and, you know, I've been discussing with a couple of, of brokers recently, and uh, for their respect, I will not disclose their name, but I was so astonished about the low. For me, in their pricing, in the way they manage their 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 markup, etc., I had the impression, I had the feeling that they are so good in marketing, so they are extremely sophisticated in the way they handle their uh, their 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 markups and optimization on that, etc. Under a kind of revenue management approach, you see. But I've realized, at least on the two guys I've been speaking with, that they are extremely basic. Uh, they have tools that are super Excel-oriented. Uh, their way to measure the performance, not on the on the on the on the, the website huh, uh, as you just described, but really uh, on the uh, on the way to optimize the markup, uh, taking all the opportunities. Honestly, it was a shock for me. 
Can you confirm this or that effectively, yeah. I, I'm not mentioning the one you, were, you, you, you have been working with. So uh, can you confirm that effectively these guys, they are extremely basic in their pricing approach and they are focusing only on techno and, and web um, because they need to improve their conversion ratio and that's their battlefield to, comp to compete with the others. Or, uh, no, I just had a <laughs> bad, uh, let's say, bad, uh, bad feedback and, and some others are extremely sophisticated. What, what is your feeling about that? Uh, my personal feeling and my, let's say strong belief from the experience that I have is that, again, the, uh, the broker uh, competition now is increasing as well. And there are so many, uh, let's say, individual players that decided the broker business is an easy thing to do. So they stepped in into this broker business. And uh, sometimes they don't even have direct suppliers. They're just getting feeds from different larger brokers. And um, and they go ahead in the, in the format that you were mentioning, that they just have some Excel sheets. They add some fixed margins. Uh, they procure some better commissions and they go ahead and try to uh, conquer some uh, some bookings. But I think that they will be always limited uh, growth-wise because they will never be winning on some large meta searches. They will never be uh, winning with uh, large digital partnerships like airlines or, um, let's say, larger OTAs. So they will start losing their positions to these well-prepared, uh, digitally advanced, uh, analytically structured brokers. And I think that Discover Cards, again, is one of these examples uh, that showed that even, even during the crisis, I mean, during COVID times, you can manage to uh, substantially grow your presence and use this crisis as an opportunity to reestablish yourself, to check your pricing, to create dynamic pricing, and actually go ahead and conquer the world, I would say, and conquer new source markets and uh, look on the growth of some of them. So there's going to be, um, you know, one, two, three, four, five players that are going to be winning the battle, that are going to be conquering the market, and they're going to be 20, 30, 40 others that are going to be stagnating with their Excel sheets same like some of the rental cars are doing. So it's a never-ending story. But I think that this filtration is going to be pretty quick in the upcoming years because the digital environment is becoming really expensive. And if you are not, uh, let's say, leveraging your pricing in a proper way, if you are not uh, knowledgeable in your yield management, even on the broker side, you'll be just not able to stay profitable. So yes, you have the cash flow to support your marketing investments, but at the same time, you are ending the year with a negative result. And at the end of the day, we are all there for the, uh, let's say, for the profitability of the business. So unless somebody buys you over just for the sake of your brand presence or for some, some, some source markets where you are stronger, that's the only opportunity for you to have a good exit strategy. Otherwise, you will just lose the business and go out of it. Interesting. Uh... Interesting point. Uh, do you think that for me, one of the big weakness nowadays we see with the current rental, it's become a commodity. As you said, there is hundreds of brokers that are fighting uh, against each other. At the same time, we have hundreds of current operators or 50 on one location, eventually, especially on the leisure area around the Mediterranean. 
Mediterranean areas, uh, or in California, Florida, this kind of big place. And at the end, we are they are all at the same place with the same car. I mean, same brand, same color, like uh, Renault Clio or Ford, uh, Ford Escort or whatever. And so the only difference remain in the in the price. So that triggered the spiral of uh, dropping the price down and down and down and down and down and down up to five euros a day or even in high season sometimes in some crazy market. So how do you what, what what is your perception on that what is your uh, your feeling to is well, it a, first of to all uh, never end well first of all i think that um, even back in the days uh, when we were still having the red color business in baltics we always um let's say uh, were very skeptical and we were very careful with with these rent -a car players that were coming from the car sales business because um, what they had in their mind was not to keep the operational part of the car rental business profitable, but they were trying to make money on reselling, on utilizing their new fleet, their uh, buyback fleet, back and forwards, adding it to the rental park and uh, selling it off in large, uh, let's say, packages somewhere back to Europe or to larger uh, corporate customers. And that's why for them, rent-a-car business and rent-a-car commodity was just to utilize this fleet on a short-term uh, kind of range when they didn't want the cars to be in the parking lot. And that's when they were fine with selling the cars at 5 euros, 3 euros, whatever, 10 euros, just name it, because they didn't care as long as the cars were driving and bringing some money in and not being parked and not being spending their money at the parking lot. And I think that on many markets, it's still an issue because... Uh, you see a lot of that happening in Spain, for example, where many large players are actually doing the car business more than they do the rental business. So they don't really pay attention to it. And that's why for them, this rental business, it doesn't matter. They, they sometimes procure three, four, five brands at the same, uh, at the same, let's say, lot in the same office. And when you ask for their, let's say, pricing strategy, they have no answer to you. They don't know why they need these five brands. They don't know why they structure one euro more for one brand and one euro less for the other one. They just they just do it. <laughs> but if they want to make money with the, 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 the car purchase and sales, that's okay. But they could also, instead of selling at five, they could sell it at, at 15 euros a day or 20 euros a day. Absolutely, they can but make more money on this particular... A, a, a way of doing why not coming in their head to say hey guys we are eventually it's not like okay we are covering a warehouse with this bloody five euros a day but at least we can make the double or the triple if we are smart without Absolutely. impacting the the use car and the value of our of our uh, defeat afterwards absolutely you're absolutely I don't right. understand i don't understand well it's it's basically i think it's a lack of experienced rent-a-car people in there in these teams so um, again, we come back to the same point that this 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 product is a really uh, uh, let's say tough piece of the cake that requires some knowledge and experience of the business. And if you come from the car sales business where you maybe are a top sales performer and you know how to do wholesale batches of cars, uh, it doesn't mean that you understand the rental business. Uh, it's the same like many. We know many examples from the uh, Coraco business 
when people uh, dream of investing all their funds into uh, into buying, you know, a restaurant or a hotel uh, when they retire from the main business, and and it becomes the biggest failure in their life. Because if you haven't been working at the front desk of the hotel, or you haven't been a waiter in the restaurant, or you haven't been assisting some chef in the restaurant in your previous life, you will never be a successful owner. And it's I think it's really applicable to the car rental business. It's I, tot <laughs> I totally agree with you. And uh, and we keep saying this with Michael Mayer from Retaiway that uh, many people in in US they have invested a couple of money because as you said like with their pension or whatever and they said oh you know renting car it's easy you buy car you clean car you rent it and you sell it afterwards okay welcome and you will yeah. see <laughs> if it's that <laughs> easy and in fact it seems to be easy because it's only cars and everybody has a car so it's like it seems to be obvious but when you look in details it's so complex and so detail oriented that every step that if you want to make a minimum profit at the end and it's a low margin profit it's a low margin business it has to re it requires so much precision and details and uh, and uh, rigor to make it work correctly so of course of course especially with all the uh let's say with with all the competitive uh environment that we're having on the front end uh, meaning that the prices are really competitive and you have to be um let's say um you you have to be adjusting yourself versus this competition um because again this online game makes you uh let's say makes you be dynamic whether you want it or you don't it's not up to you to choose you either are in this game or you leave the game so on the front end you have to be progressive and at the same time we see that the self cost has been constantly raising i mean the cars have been becoming more expensive the residual values were not always as good as they previously were the insurances were raising the finance costs are raising so that's why if you if you think that this is a high margin business then you shouldn't even enter it i mean this is the business where you really need to count cents and dollars in order to reach these results by the end of the year yeah absolutely absolutely and there was an article uh 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 recently about the the earths who have bought like uh, i don't know 10 10 000 100 000 uh, teslas yeah and they are it because in fact simultaneously tesla reduced their their price so uh they're on the retail side and so the the residu residual value uh on the books in the books of earths have decreased and so they make it not profitable enough uh anymore so they said okay what's the point of renting uh, tesla cars if at the end uh uh, it's become less and less uh, uh, profitable. So Absolutely. it's very, very interesting uh, a comment between Tesla approach and 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 uh, and Earth's point of view uh, because they made the big buzz recently. You remember a couple of years back when they said, "Oh, we are going to buy one hundred thousand Teslas," but uh, if economically they cannot increase their their profit, that's a big concern. And they are not making this just to have Teslas in the fleet, huh? I think for them, again, um, it's my personal feeling, but uh, I have a feeling that after the uh, major collapse that I had, let's say, post-COVID, I think this was more a marketing strategic hit and step rather than a pragmatic business-based case. So, And I think that they managed it well because they got a lot of attention. They got their stock back. 
I mean, um, many were that say skeptic that they will uh, ever get their positions back. But look what they what is happening. I mean, they're shining like they never did before. So they're performing absolutely well, and that's why this minor failure with the uh, Teslas that are sometimes standing uh, uh, still at the parking lots of U.S. locations and U.S. airports because nobody uh, is ready to pay extra for the electric car. <laughs> uh, that's that's not as disastrous as um, as if they wouldn't do any such let's say uh, major marketing trick for the market. So uh, I think that was a smart move back then. But again, an example with Tesla is bringing another alarm that is happening on the market that dealers, especially the post-COVID uh, timing, when they were short on fleet, uh, importers and dealers they became paying as much attention to these fleet purchases. And in most places, in most countries, they actually canceled all the corporate uh, rent-a-car deals. So they said, take it or leave it. Either you want to buy cars at the sticker price or you don't buy them because we have buyers waiting for one year to get the cars at the uh, retail uh, sticker price. So why should we do a 30% discount to your rental car fleet if we don't have cars? So slowly they brought this shift uh, in the perception that rent-a-car is buying, let's say, cars with major discount back to the practice when basically we were buying cars for the same price as the, let's say, retail customer. And that, of course, that, of course, kept the prices, I mean, the, the self-costs and the uh, depreciation up as well. So, inevitably. We had a we had a good uh, podcast, uh, which was one of the of the first one with uh, Jared Kinnert from uh, Tom Wood Automotive in US, and he's really he's the revenue manager and the director of operations as well, and uh, he's really focusing on the on all these elements that will have an impact on the residual value, like the mileage, and they are optimizing the length of rent in order to generate the maximum revenue, but also not to hit too much the mileage or the 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 the, the, the life of the of the vehicle because they know that if the guy the car has get more mileage eventually they will have it will have an impact on the on the future residual value and oh, i think it's extremely well. smart because they prefer sometimes to have a three-day rental for a corporate midweek and not a seven-day rental for a leisure guy that will have unlimited mileage and will drive like uh, two three thousand kilometers uh, like we know that the corporate, they will do maybe two, 300 kilometers. They go to the factory, they back or they do their, uh, their meetings. So their approach, honestly, I've never heard it. So it's in one of our podcasts because I think it's extremely good to think also of integrating this kind of uh, dimensions and variables into the optimization. Uh, as you said earlier, that's a question of cents or euro. I didn't put euros. I say euros sometimes. And, uh, all these details counts, um, so it's important to integrate these elements into the into the process. And our uh, big client uh, is, is six six thousand cars. They said that the, uh, the, the depreciation cost of the car, as uh, we have lost about ten years, we are back to the cost we had ten years ago. Uh, it has been going down. That was good, but then, uh, as you said, during COVID, now it went up, and we have lost. Uh, plus the interest rates that have increased a lot also. That's a major impact of a lot of, uh, of, of, of uh, current operators. 
Um, as time is moving, I would like also to discuss about this affiliation because you have been working for Carways. Uh, and um, in the, I think in the sales um, development. Um, how do you see, uh, my, my question is that I, I realized that in fact, for a couple of years back, maybe five, six years, we see the development of the affiliation on some brands that we were not, that were not known at all before, like uh, uh, Green Motion, uh, Carwiz, um, we go recently. Those guys are, I would say, newcomers. Usually they are created by guys that were current all operators or eventually franchisor from a legacy brand. And I've noticed, that's my feeling, that we had an acceleration on this type of development. And in the same time, I don't believe that the market is extendable uh, <laughs> indefinitely. What is your feeling about this uh, affiliation uh, development? Well, my understanding of it that uh, actually, again, the uh, the um, stagnatic type of thinking of the large legacy players and their wrong type of relations with the brokers, their uh, arrogant way of thinking versus the pricing and market positioning brought this opportunity for the new players. So the new players had absolutely different mentality. As you said, most of uh, them were coming from the, let's say, from the strong experience base. So these were not the newcomers to the industry. These were people who worked for many, many years for some other brand. So they knew the product well. They knew the business well. They probably learned from some mistakes and they knew what are the unique sales propositions that they wanted to bring in. So uh, if you um, look on this, let's say, modern approach in marketing, in technology, and in relations that they had with brokers, they were much more flexible. They were much more dynamic. So they were capable of, um, let's say, becoming stronger and better partners for these brokers. So in many cases, brokers were happily working with these smaller affiliate networks rather than with the big colorful brands that were uh, really strict on their pricing rules that didn't want to listen to the broker, let's say, adjustments and were not capable of uh, shifting left or right. And uh, of course, again, coming back to technology, uh, most of these smaller players were able to bring the modern technology to the front end. So we were talking about all these applications, all these, uh, uh, let's say, modern websites, all these, uh, let's say, counter, counter um, check systems. And uh, they were much more advanced than the old players that were still running their software in uh, MS-DOS format. And we're expecting, uh, you know, to utilize the modern business on the technology that was made 40 years ago. So um, also the bright and uh, sometimes brave marketing approach uh, also was uh, a big step forward for these smaller players. Um, customer service. What else? I mean, the... The, the the digitalization of the sales as such as another option that for the affiliate companies it became much easier to present themselves via the network of brokers so they didn't need to spend as much money to be on the same positions as the big brands 
if you compare it to 20, 30 years ago. So they could use this, this cooperation with the ODAs, with the aggregators, in order to uh, take over these leading positions in some countries. And look what's happening now. I mean, in some markets, in some large markets, these new affiliate brands are actually leading the game and uh, are sometimes overselling the, uh, the old school legacy players. Huh. I think also, again, and we come to the level of costs, I mean, no, impacting the, the, the stock exchange and they are, they are, they are, the pressure they have on delivering results. I remember at the time I've been working at, at Europe Car, those franchisors, the, the, the director of franchisee, uh, the franchise uh, network, they were asking also huge amount of money to have first the ter territory fee, then the, the brand fee, then the marketing fee, then plus the commission on every transaction. So for, for a current old company in, in, in Dubai, in Morocco, wherever you want, just to start, you need to have a significant cash flow because you have to pay those fees to these legacy brands. So eventually, I, I don't know how much do they charge these affiliators now, but I'm sure they also charge far less. So as you said, they bring more value because now it's new techno and, uh, and stuff like that. But simultaneously, maybe also they are cheaper. Absolutely. It's, uh, it's, it's the value versus the proposition. So basically, as you said, the market entry with the, with the new brands is much easier because you don't need these uh, huge investments in order to start the business. And at the same time, the value that you are getting back is sometimes more than with these big brands. Because as you mentioned, I just recently had one consultation business with uh, one of the, uh, um, again, let's just say African countries where they procured the license from uh, one of the large players which actually didn't bring any value. They didn't make much of the support. They they collect the funds for marketing. They have the marketing fees, but they don't market the destination as such. So maybe they have general marketing, but there is nothing regarding the destination. So they were not booking, getting enough bookings. They were not getting enough brokers because uh, the headquarters would kept saying them that, no, 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 we don't cooperate with these guys. We don't want to work with this aggregator. We don't want to be present on this ODA. So just wait and you will get the bookings. And they never got the bookings. So they waited for five years. And now they came back to me and said, uh, listen, we would like to find the good alternative. So please help us to procure the uh, the new affiliate structure. And that was an interesting, let's say, case for me. Yeah, you're absolutely right. We had a client recently who was exactly the same, the, uh, the franchisor decided to stop the contract and the guy said, okay, thank you very much. We stop and we do not renew and we do not fight because they created their own independent brand. And it, I mean, when you look at all the structure, the cost, the fees, uh, everything that they force you also to pay the counter at the airport and eventually it's not that profitable because it costs a huge amount of money to be within the airport. Well, it's better sometimes to be off airport with a nice shuttle service uh, the, the client is happy and uh, it's far cheaper. At the end, when you do all your subs, you realize that, uh, okay, let's go for independent or a small affiliation, uh, as you said. And, and I'm talking small. Nowadays, some guys are big. So it's not small anymore. Huh? Uh, they are, as you said, pre not predominant, but they are significant on the market. So 
Yeah, do you see that those, the development of this guy? Because what I've noticed is that there are so many brands that are entering into the market. Do you think there will be some room for for all? Or as usual, they will have some... I think that there's going to be still, again, a lot of mergers and acquisitions. Uh, so some will be, you know, uh, some will be merging with each other. Some will be outbought by some bigger players like it happened previously as well. Uh, but there's also going to be a lot of filtering because also the brokers and aggregators became much more, um, um, how to say, strict in their face control. So they're not really letting any uh, new players with no experience, with no strong proof of the, uh, uh, let's say, uh, strong presence on the certain destinations. They're not allowing them to onboard anymore. So this means that the speed of these uh, newcomers is going to decrease. There's not going to be that many new players coming in. Okay. And then it's going to be an easy filtration from the market point of view that those who will not adhere to the new technology those who were not, let's say, uh, work properly and uh, be creative on their yield management, on their pricing management side, they will just start disappearing from the market because, again, many of them are working for the sake of uh, uh, getting extra funding from the venture capitalists that are supporting them. And at the same time, they're working for five, seven, ten years without making the operational side of the business profitable. And we know that the venture capitalists these days are much more careful with adding funds to such businesses. And I mean, when you call yourself a startup and you have been already on the market for 10 years, <laughs> I really don't share the same opinion. I think the startup is something that is working for one or two years, but then you are already a solid business that needs to be profitable. So if you uh, don't yeah. know how to manage business in a profitable way, you will just disappear. That's my uh, strong opinion. Thanks for for this. Uh, that that will give some uh, some yeah some highlights and some uh, to the to the guys independent car rental company would like to join any affiliation and sometimes they 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 they, they choose many. They are not like a solo one. They can have multiple brand. So that's uh, okay. That will that's, be interesting. That's, that's one thing, Manuel. That don't even ask me uh, why they do this and how they run this concept because. I still cannot uh, really understand the winning strategy, how, how what you want to achieve and how you want to win the battle by representing six, five, seven different brands at the same location, especially when, when you don't have a clear, let's say, pricing or strategic difference uh, between these brands. So <laughs> uh. this is something that I don't understand yet. I have to learn. <laughs> um. So now, if we continue your uh, your uh, your curriculum and, uh, and and we come to a techno part, uh, because you you have been uh, joining uh, an operating system also, um, and I know that uh, we exchanged recently on 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 LinkedIn about the, the techno. I know I know you are uh, a techno fan. I would like to get your uh, your your perception on that. Um, how the Techno have changed this this market, but mostly, what I would like to hear from you is what is your your belief or your uh, the way you see the evolution of the techno, uh, such as uh, AI, such as uh, uh, yes, tool enhancement, human enhancement via tools. How do you see it will impact the 
the, the our our industry like the car rental industry in the in the future well as you mentioned i uh, i really um you know i don't want to call myself a guru or a professional but i'm really a technology addicted person so uh I um, in my daily routine life, I'm also trying to shift and uh, surround myself with the different widgets and widgets and gadgets and uh, new tools that are available on the market. Um, and I'm, of course, one of those who is actively trying to test the uh, artificial intelligence environment in the operational and daily routine. So I recently read an interesting quote uh in regards to technology and uh and artificial intelligence can be covered by this as well that all of this technology is a great slave but we shouldn't make it a master of ourselves so i think that humans of course cannot be 100 replaced we still need to manage the systems we still need to create strategies we still need to uh, guide this technology and we shouldn't uh let's say consider that some someday well I mean, at least in the nearest future, that it, the technology can absolutely replace us, especially the owners and the managers, because I think that the uh, the business itself is very often based on the intuition, which technology or artificial intelligence is not capable of, um, let's say, getting this feeling, because it's usually data-driven, and it's based on certain data analysis. It's not having any feelings behind it. But at the same time, we are absolutely on the way to optimizing the uh, the performance of the business by implementing this technology. And I kind of love to compare this modern trend in uh, in the in the rent a car uh, in advancing this technology in the rent a car sector with let's say car development i mean look back in the days i remember our first cars in the rental fleet they had no acs and we were upselling cars with air conditioning right it was, we, an option, uh, right. <laughs> it was it was an option right it, was, it wasn't something that was a must-have i mean now you are hardly selling manual cars and i'm not talking about things like abs or uh, or multi-lane control or uh, all these modern features that are already uh, covered in the basic equipment of on the car that were not even existing back in the days. And when you switch them off now, you cannot imagine yourself driving because you feel like the car is just not, uh, you know, like it's not capable of riding on the road anymore without these features. <laughs> and when you go back to some classic cars that have none of these features, you feel that we somehow were driving them back in the days. Same as with the phone. I mean, we were happy with Nokia phones and Nokia was so, so confident that they believed that they were never uh, lose the leadership position on the market, right? And when some uh, wicked uh, widget iPhone appeared on the market, nobody was even taking them seriously. They thought that, okay, it's just some toy that will uh, fall apart and, uh, and will never become. Now we cannot imagine our life without the iPhone. Uh, when my battery is going down, I feel that I'm losing my part of my life. So I really need to run and switch on the plug-in because all my life, all my business is connected to my iPhone, right? <laughs> yeah, you're so, right. Yeah. So that's why I think that this technological shift in uh, our um, in our business life is kind of comparable to what we just discussed. I think that those who will not adhere uh, this technology, they will lose the business. They will go out. They will become a history because uh, 
you cannot just use the manpower to uh, to play this modern pricing battle to play this modern online presence without the technological support plus post covid period brought a lot of these uh, revolutionary uh, stuff and revolutionary alternatives to the classic rent a car um, product as such including car sharing including subscription including different peer-to-peer products that are available on the U.S. market, for example, and in uh, Western Europe. And all of this uh, is creating that kind of pressure on the classic rent-a-car product that they need to digitalize their front-end processes as well. People don't want to be standing in a queues anymore talking to uh, uh, rental agents. They want to have different modern applications. They want to have different modern verification processes. They want to pick up the car as easy as possible. They want to drop off the car out of hours without any hassle. They want to take digital pictures of the damages to make sure that they're not charged for something they never uh, damaged. And all of this brings a necessity to implement this technology. So take it or leave it. Those who will not comply with it, they will be gone in uh, in a matter of, uh, if not years, then maybe even months. I I still don't understand that you have to show up at the counter to show your papers why you can digitalize this. And even though I said, ah, but you know, anybody can copy his driving license or whatever papers is required. But I said, that's bullshit. We can have techno now to recognize automatically that the picture which is on your driving license is exactly your face because then you will ask, the system will ask you to put your your iPhone or your smartphone in front of you, and then we are going to double check if the two images are correspondent. Uh, and I did it for a recent visa in Middle East. I did more, all my visa online, and then the guy said, "Okay, you send your passport, but then you take your, this picture of your face, and I have this, you know, this circle to make sure that my face will will fit into this circle." And then that works perfectly. Absolutely. You don't need to show up at the counter to do that, but still. The people, they arrive and say, you have to queue up for, as you said, uh, 30 minutes, sometimes more in some busy uh, peak season. And uh, just to have your, to make sure that your driving license is the is the one. It's a no sense. It's a Absolutely. no sense. And it's, it's, it, it creates a lot of friction and, and frustration from the customer. Uh, I know that in our, tra- in the travel service, Karen Dole is the only one that the client lives with it everybody all the other industry you live in the service hotels trains uh air stadiums these kind of things you live you what you spend you leave it inside for the current all what you spend you take the keys and you run so i know it's stressful for the for the current operators but still we can find some all these KYCs, know your customer processes or digital processes. It's possible to make things easier, but still, it's so bad. It's unbelievable. But I think that this brings an enormous opportunity to those modern and advanced thinking business owners. So those who are going to make this shift are going to make a massive, uh, let's say, improvement in their business. They're going to be massively winning the leadership positions versus those stagnating and still considering that no this is more a problem than an opportunity uh those not willing to invest into technology and considering that this is an extra cost 
those believing that uh, the physical verification is safer than the digital one, as you said, this is absolutely, uh, let's say, crappy uh, perception of this modern world. I mean, I forgot last time when I entered any bank uh, to, to do some, let's say, life verification or, or live contact. Everything is done digitally. The banks that I'm using Absolutely. lately, they don't even have the physical locations. I mean, they're all virtual exactly. finance corporations that are located uh, somewhere where you don't even know that everything is done via your phone, via digital processes, and they're safer even in most cases than the physical ones. And again, if you look on the statistics, and I was talking recently to the insurance guys, the they said that actually most of the fraud is happening uh, in a physical manner when people are appearing at the counter with some fraudulent credit cards, with some fraudulent uh, passports and different IDs, because it's much easier to pass the verification check with a human being than actually with a digital tool that can scan your document, that can scan your face, that can run a quick check. And there are many tools and opportunities out there. So it's an absolutely back forward thinking when people think that this is, uh, let's say, some not a safe environment. The other threat and the other comments that uh, I've heard from some of the owners is they believe that this can kill their selling opportunities. Again, coming back to the initial topic when we discussed about the counter sales that represents up to 30, 40 percent of the revenue for many of the businesses. Right. Especially in these low pricing models when we know that some some countries and some companies, they sell super cheap rates at the broker websites just for the sake of getting that customer to the counter and then starting to, let's say, boil up the, the situation and uh, scare them off with some uh, expensive deposits or, uh, or freaking self-risks and then trying to uh, push them to buy all these extras at the counter. They are afraid that by digitalizing this process, they will lose these opportunities. And again, this is absolutely crap. This is wrong because totally. take uh, take take into uh, into example, for example, uh, the airline part of the business. We're doing this for the last five, seven, ten years, whatever. I don't even remember when you don't to go to the counter unless you need to check in your luggage, and all the upselling is happening via your phone, via your computer. So you are you are offered extra seats. You are getting, let's say, the the packages that you buy online are getting. Uh, less packed than they used to be 10 years ago. When you remember 20 years ago, when you were buying an airplane, uh, an air, an air flight ticket, you were getting your lunch, your uh, bottle of champagne, your priority seat, and everything was included. Now you buy, you have nothing except for the opportunity to go to the restroom. And even some companies are considering that they will sell the restroom as an option, right? So all you do is during your check-in process, you go through this complete sales uh sales ledger when you're offered let's say some seats some priority seats some seats with extra space you are getting the lunch box you are getting your bottle of water you are getting uh, a priority exit extra luggage room whatever whatever just name it so you end up paying 20 25 30 percent on the top what you have booked via skyscanner and everybody's used to it so i think Absolutely. that the rental car industry should just learn from the airline industry that is uh, I think two, three steps ahead of it, digitalization-wise. And we shouldn't be scared. We should, vice versa, see it as a great opportunity to uh, to sell extra services by making it easy for, for our customers. There was a, 
I've recorded a, an interview with Julian Espiritu uh, from Abraham's Mobility Consulting. And the guy was a heavy renter at, I think it was U-Haul in US. And what he I've seen in the website, in at, at, as soon as you move forward into the process, when you arrive to the insurance, they were drawing the, the, the vans scheme, okay? And so they were showing with arrows the cost of every part, like the bumper, the back mirror, and these kind of things. And so whenever you were choosing some options to reduce the, the waiver, you know, to have the waiver, therefore the cost of these options, if, if, if ever you have an accident with the bumper goes, I don't know, like uh, 1,000 euros, then down to 600, then down to 300, and then goes to zero. But when the customer sees this we in, at home, it does not feel first cheated, second, he has time to react, and usually it works very well. And Absolutely. I'm sure he said, oh, wow, the bumper cost 1,000 euros. Eventually, I will buy this uh, package to uh, to reduce the, the excess. And it works. Plus, I, think, I, totally I think it's a human factor. Yeah, yeah um, my apologies. Go ahead. I just wanted to say that I think that it's also the human factor, the, the psychological factor, that when we see a human trying to... Uh, let's say, explain all of these aspects to us and trying to sell all of these features, we consider this as an aggressive, pushy sales. When we have a chance to do that back home in the comfort of our own uh, sofa or chair, or even uh, if you do that before the flight, but still are sitting in some coffee shop uh, with, a, with a cup of coffee or a glass of wine, and you're doing all this over your phone and nobody's pushing you, you have time to evaluate, you have time to think, you have time to compare, so you feel much more comfortable. Uh, and Absolutely. I think this is what technology brings that comfort zone back to us. Exactly. And uh, when you see in general the, 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 the low quality in terms of processes, uh, in terms of techno, of in general, the current old websites, I'm talking for the legacy brand or, or, or the independent current old company, whatsoever. I totally agree with you. They leave aside a huge amount of money extremely profitable because it's a high margin, uh, usually directly to bottom line. They just leave it aside. That's unbelievable. And when we are talking low margin, no, there is margin opportunities, but you just need to think out of the box. Absolutely. Absolutely. And again, we come back to the same point that when doing this, you need to see the technology as an opportunity, not as a cost. So when you see it as an opportunity to make more money, to make more efficiency out of your business, that's when you will understand that this is an investment, not a cost. Yeah. Um, we come to an end, uh, to the end of our interview, uh, Artil. So I'm, I'm going to ask you a few um, uh, uh, personal question. Is um, over these these years, how do you continue to progress? How do you, what do you do? Do you have any tips or, or, or process, a bit, I would say, to continue to learn? Well, first of all, for, for me, staying in the um, in the rental car industry and in the mobility sector, because I think that the rental car is now slowly shifting into the overall wider concept of mobility as such. And I think in future, we don't, we will not have uh, so specifically divided products like car sharing, uh, car rental, you know, like our subscription, it's going to be more a universal mobility service. 
uh, and it's going to be mainly as a service, not as a commodity. So uh, I think that keeping your interest in it, I mean, I was always addicted to it. I was always addicted to technology. And that's what uh, makes me feel motivated to uh, go further, to stay in this industry, to develop, learn, and um, continue, let's say, my uh, practices. And uh, it was all about, let's say, learning from mistakes, failures, uh, getting back, um, talking to a lot of partners. Um, I have a wide network and I never, let's say, um, never resist from any contacts with any small players or large players. I really am open for discussions and with talks with uh, most of the people in the industry. And I learned from different sides. I learned from the big players. I learned from the small players, from small countries, large countries. And it brings a really exciting environment for myself. So um, I think the tip is stay dynamic. Um, look for the advancements. Try to avoid stagnancy. So if right. you are not adding uh, some features in the next year, you're already stagnating. Try to learn things. This again, this changes the whole environment of the business that brings something new, something fresh, something more exciting, and that keeps you awake in the business. That's that's good. And 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 you you said earlier that you are uh, you are really uh, you are testing new things. You are download the new app, download the new the new feature, testing it for you. It's really like you do it almost every day. Absolutely, absolutely. All right. That's uh, that's really. Uh, I think that that yes, it keeps you uh, awake <laughs> all the time and make sure that uh, you can trust. Uh, you said something important. You said okay, sometimes it, it doesn't work, sometimes it fails, but I continue to to apply. That's that's your spirit every day to try and not everything works. That's the Absolutely. beauty of it. For for me, the biggest disaster uh, in my let's say in my personal growth is stagnation. So when I need to do something uh, something similar or the same operation for several years in a row, that's something that kills my motivation completely. So that's why by testing new tools, by experiencing with these new tools, and especially now when this technology is available, I really feel um, this excitement of going further. And that's why I appreciate that in my new partnership with, uh, with Rentlysoft, for example, we are really an open... API type of platform where we're not only developing things inside the company, but we are open for the, uh, let's say, ventures and collaborations with new exciting tools, with uh, new projects. So we're trying to connect, uh, let's say, new interesting tools, including Wheeled, including uh, Raid Highway, including many, many other new brands that are coming to the market and bringing some expertise that we might not have considered previously. I mean, again, I think one of the mistakes is when people believe that they can be 100%, uh, let's say, professionals in all of the fields. I think this is a failure. We are, we should be listening to others. We should be looking around. We should be looking at new startups. Of course, out of these startups, only one or two percent actually reach the the targeted goals. But if you don't look at them, you are going to lose your positions. You're going to lose your leadership. Anyway, that's that's so so true. That uh, that right me also this way, and uh, that's uh, yes, that's super important to keep us uh, 
uh, inform and uh, on this uh, uh, the alert all the time and pay attention to uh, to, to this. How do you uh, do? You have any particular I don't know book or a lecture that you, you a reading that you made uh, that really changed um, your life or impacted you a lot? Is it can be an old book? It can be a new book? It can be whatever. Um, are you a reading guy? Uh, do you read a lot or? I'm not really a book reading guy, but I'm, I'm really like to follow the successful entrepreneurs and especially the revolutionary entrepreneurs. I uh, like following people like, for example, Elon Musk, that many people uh, perceive in a, let's say, absolutely uh, different way. So some are supporters, some are negatively looking at them. But I think that by looking at the champions and uh, revolutionaries like, like these guys and uh, reading their thoughts, is what uh, what keeps me awake. Um, so, yeah, th this is this is this is the trend that I'm following. If you would go backwards in the in the time and you would meet Arthur's at the age of eighteen or twenty, what kind of advice would you would you give him? Would you give to this teenager? <laughs> it's a really good question, but um, I don't have a straightforward answer. Uh, because if I would stay and say a classic word to be more careful with the investment, then I would actually upon myself. Because again, I never regret any failures that I had. I think this was the best university I had. And uh, my father, back in the days, he told me actually that, you know, that probably it's going to be an expensive part of your education, but your failures are part of your university. So you are just paying for the expensive college, for the expensive university. So uh, I would continue the same trend. I don't regret much. Uh, the only thing I regret is that we're getting older and hopefully we still keep that energy. Uh, because of course, back in the days when I was 20, 25, you were probably much more uh, faster in your decision-making process. So I just hope that I will keep the pace in the upcoming years. <laughs> okay. And uh, would you have somebody to to uh, to suggest uh, that could be a good uh, uh, a podcast, a Revenue Machine podcast interviewee, uh, uh, a guest? If you have somebody in mind that could be a good contributor to the community of this uh, of this Revenue Machine podcast. Well, out of the whole network that uh, that we're having, I mean, you, you know a lot of these people as well. It's really hard to choose one uh, because okay. I think that our <laughs> industry is, is filled with a lot of interesting uh, people. But again, taking into account the, uh, the um, let's say, importance of the broker part of the business, I think that one of the uh, legends in the, uh, let's say, on the aggregator side and on the technology side is definitely Ryan Brooks. And I think that you could ask a lot of interesting questions uh, regarding the online part of the business and the aggregator business to him, because I think that nobody else is having as much knowledge as he does. And it's always a pleasure to meet him and talk to him and, uh, let's say, and uh, learn a lot of new advancements with him. Who is he? Sorry, I didn't uh, notice the name. Ryan, Ryan Brooks. It's ah, Ryan Brooks. Check okay. 24. Okay, I'll check twenty four. Yeah, okay. And where do we, uh, where we can follow you? Um, 
after us. If we want to get in contact with you, where we can connect you? I'm trying to be active on LinkedIn. So um, I think that's my uh, main main socializing channel at the moment. And uh, I'm also uh, trying to see what's the um, interesting part of the information that I'm supplying to the, um, to the public. Um, I was trying to be rather active with cars and uh, recent changes, let's say, in the trend for electric vehicles. So I'm, uh, I'm trying to be active there and I'm really appreciating when I get feedback, comments, uh, because that improves my presence on, uh, on the channel as well. So, Okay, so uh, uh, please connect Arthur on, on LinkedIn. Effectively, you are, uh, you are uh, extremely uh, present, but uh, you also answer and challenge and discuss. So I appreciate this feedback that you, uh, that you have. This is how we met effectively. And uh, we met via LinkedIn at the beginning and then physically. And, uh, and now you are on the Revenue Machine podcast. And uh, my, my, uh, my intention with this podcast is really for the, the people to go out of the box and to have some, uh, some learnings and, and ideas sharing uh, with the community. One of the, of the weakness of this industry that people, they remain in their silo, um, believing that what they do is perfect. And, uh, and even it is, but it can maybe improve by having being fitted by uh, ideas of others. And that's the intention we have is the revenue machine along the revenue management for sure, because it's one of my, my passion. But uh, this is what we uh, we try to do. I really would like to thank you for for, for your time on this uh, on this uh, uh, that you have dedicated to the revenue machine podcast. And that my was pleasure. a nice moment with you, uh, Arthur. Thanks a lot. Thank you very much. Merci beaucoup. And it was my pleasure talking to you. And uh, you always have these interesting topics. So it's it's nice following you and nice, uh, let's say, discussing these important aspects with you. And I'm also, just to finalize, I'm really glad that when talking to the industry, and we had a lot of opportunities now to meet uh, industry uh, colleagues in London and now looking forward to Fitur in Madrid. I still believe that there are a lot of players, including the new players, including the new business people that have this different mindset and this modern mentality. So there's definitely going to be breakthroughs on the market and we'll see some new leaders popping up, new technologically advanced ventures popping up. It's going to be a challenging and interesting environment for sure. Looking forward to this. Thank you very Absolutely. much. Ciao. Ciao. You reach the end of the Revenue Machine podcast. I hope you enjoyed this moment of sharing ideas and tips. Give us a five star if you liked it. That's the only way to be seen in the Magma of podcast. You can also forward this podcast to two other people you love. Wheel Team is available to help car rental operators who are frustrated by the data they have and the data they would like to have. But also the one who wants to be guided along their revenue transformation process. Contact us. Bye-bye.